This is Mark Mullinex. Welcome back to an aptly named podcast called Power for the Peaceful. Verse 31, The Question of War, Part 2. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. Sweet sound of the river as she moves over the stones. The same song that the blood in your body sings as it weaves around your bones. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Peace is softening what is rigid in our hearts. We can talk about ending war and we can march for ending war. We can do everything in our power, but war is never going to end as long as our hearts are hardened against each other. Pema Children, practicing peacetime in war. Good day, my class. Our speaker and question raiser today is Gabriella Giuliano, a Taoist practitioner herself. Here is her self-introduction. My name is Gabrielle Giuliano. I grew up on the coast of the United States, the East Coast, and found my way down to the mountains where I have met Mark through work and am pleased to be here and sharing this verse with all of you. Today, verse 31, a verse which continues verse 30's emphasis. Get out of harmony with Tao, lose your first love virtue, and risk descending into not just disharmony, but also unbalance unsound wisdom, and a forgetful descent into conflict as the seemingly natural way to handle your problems, which is not a human life. The unexamined life, said Socrates, is not a human one. Settle for second and third best in life, and that second or third best becomes our new, lowered ceiling with its accompanying diminished options, experiences, and prospects. Walking with Tao does not mean we are given an easier life. Oh, no. A Tao-wise life trains us for the difficult, the hard choices, the places where social and existential frictions heat up situations, people, and even climates. As we shall see in this verse, our projections of others as enemies are so much easier than a thoroughgoing introspection of self. If we project our inner conflicts onto perceived enemies, how much easier it becomes to dehumanize them or take away their human rights and even ethnically cleanse an area of their supposed scum. Stay tuned. This verse is powerful. Are you ready? Let's listen to Gabriella read our verse today. Verse 31, right or left. However winsome or winning, Weapons of war never bless. They are just cursed to the core and provide no sanctuary for the Tao follower. In ordinary life, the non-belligerent ruler honors his left from whence he receives counsels of peace. But in times of war, he becomes a right-honoring warrior, taking and giving war counsel. Weapons are evil, though, and not a sage's tools. He uses them only in unavoidable and extreme necessity, hardly with joy and rejoicing. To celebrate conquest is no different from showing glee at funerals, hardly a fruitful way to flourish in the world. 
Thus the left is for festive occasions and for minor commanders. The right is for calamities, death, and chief generals. Whenever slaughter occurs, it is a tragedy to be met with lament and dirges. A funeral march is hardly a victory lap. Violence is a quick fix to a long-term problem. Violence is not a fine tool, but a blunt instrument. This verse addresses us who feel that the conflicts of our inner and outer lives are just part of living, and conflicts are just what we have to get used to. We humans can get used to so much imbalance, disharmony. Just witness how, in the United States since 2016, how we have gotten so used to so much extremist and unbalanced views in public life. How do we unlearn our laid-back coexistence with conflicts both within and without? How do we get unaccustomed to extremist views or practices? It is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society, wrote Jiddu Krishnamurti. As I just mentioned, the contents and teachings of verses 30 and 31 are tough. So tough that our waging of peace instead of the waging of war and all that that means within and without can be upsetting to others. I grew up in a violent culture called the American South in which people who led with peace or vulnerability were called very bad names. They had untrustworthy reputations. But valorized were those who stood their ground, who saluted the flag with military precision, and who themselves or had family members who were military veterans. It was a thing to do. I'm not questioning veterans per se. I'm questioning how a country, a nation, a culture can get used to violence and even valorize it. In my culture, what was questioned were the small minority of peace wagers. Those of us who try to lead with empathy and compassion towards foreigners, rather than with violent means. These violent delights have violent ends, and in their triumph die, like fire and powder. Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. As for myself, I spent about the last half of my life seeking and pursuing peaceful means and ends before resorting to violence. I just no longer understand why the first thoughts, actions, and attitudes towards the strangers was to mistake them as potential enemies. And at times, I have paid the price for taking a thou shalt not kill ever minority view in an unrepentant culture that leads with violence and which sees nothing wrong with that. Violence, conflict, and the like are learned practices and oh, so carefully cultivated. This nation, as most nations today, have a founding legacy of violence against Native Americans, Africans, Jews, and all of whom still experience violence against them. I can only conclude that the perpetrators of violence are not themselves at peace. As you and I know just from living, if we are not at peace within, there's not a chance to be peaceful with self or with others. We target the wrong people for very baseless reasons when we ourselves are not at peace. Our projections of others as enemies are so much easier than a thoroughgoing introspection of self. And this podcast's name, Power for the Peaceful, is dedicated to living a life of peace.
Peace within first, then peace without. So verses 30 and 31 are hard, unpopular, and provoke lots of defensive arguments that may allow, in some way, violence towards others. We love, don't we, to have our moral wiggle room to appear on the outside as a seemingly wise and spiritual person, but on the inside, we are basically practicing or preparing for war or conflict, maybe not against another nation, but maybe against other people. Maybe we are first a walking civil war. It often starts with the will to dominate others, bullying in school, special laws and regulations that apply only to certain people, legislation designed to make some people into others. I mean, we can actually think of others as something worth harming or killing. And most religions as practiced today do not really care. Is this any way to live? Wasting time on manufacturing someone into someone we need to dominate? What does this actually do to our souls? I'm a frequent reader of J.R.R. Tolkien. Here's an example of how I think violence begins that I hope even non-readers of Tolkien can catch. In The Lord of the Rings, there's this enchanted ring, a ring that, when on the finger of that Lord who made it ages ago, results in the violent end of the world as they knew it. The books are stories of how a group of people, a small group of people, try to keep this ring away from its maker or Lord. They seek to destroy the ring, not the Lord. For when this ring is worn by anyone else, this sends that person down on a hallucinogenic dream of world domination and self-glorification. One of the main characters, a guy named Frodo, has come into the inheritance of this ring before its full power for evil is known. And most of the time he's prudent and does not use it. But at one point he does use it, not to wear it, but to dominate. He threatens another character, a pitiable guy known as Shmigal, who used to own or wear this very same ring for over 500 years before Frodo. Descending into his protectiveness about his ring, Frodo has this interaction with Shmigal. In his will to dominate, Frodo says, I warn you, Shmigal, you are in danger, a danger to yourself alone. Give it back, you said. You will never get it back. If I, wearing it, were to command you, you would obey, even if it were to cast yourself into the fire. And such would be my command. This was Frodo's first descent into violence. Frodo knew that he could, with this ring, manipulate and influence Smeagol with just a hint or threat against Smeagol's life. And in that moment is when Frodo, in my reading, begins a downward spiral, an unbalanced, conflicted spiral that profoundly affects Frodo's life, even down to the climax and ending of The Lord of the Rings. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Even the best weapon is an unhappy tool. Lao Tzu, Tao Te Ching, verse 31, as translated 
by Ursula K. Le Guin. Weapons are not just physical. Weapons are whatever instruments we might use, from bullying to arms themselves, that we will use to attack. In my own life, thought and speech have always been my preferred instruments to achieve glory and victory, for my pen is better wielded than a sword, but no less harmful than a sword is the pen. I used to delight in any chance to debate, and I mean dominate, and I use my brain and words to conjure up clever rationalizations to further my desires. In other words, I projected against and did not introspect within. You gotta resurrect the deep pain within you and give it a place to live that's not within your body. Let it live in art, let it live in writing, let it live in music. Let it be devoured by building brighter connections. Your body is not a coffin for pain to be buried in. Put it somewhere else. Ahim Ora. In winning and losing wars, it's the victor that takes all. It's a victory that does not share any benefits of victory to the enemy. Just punishment, humiliation, destruction to the loser. But it is the victor who started first to lose their peace. A loss from which so much flows. Violence flows only from conflicted people which we all are at times. However, when balanced and harmonious within, how can we kill or harm? When one possesses inner security and grounding, one's actions tend to be good and balanced. Peace is softening what is rigid in our hearts. With emotional calmness, when one is not using all one's energy to puff up self and deflate all others, we are then more able to consider softer tools to apply to relationships that don't have negative repercussions. In Tao is no domination ever. There's only the learning to live with all that fills our lives. And this is what Tao is good for. Tao is power for the peaceful. Every moment makes a certain request of us. The question is how we answer it. Charlotte Selber. The first act of peace is to silence whatever chaos and struggles that have developed within. Once we relearn how to be still within, we relearn how we have a great capacity to model, teach, and influence others for peace. Our primary energies flow out into compassion, not a need for domination or victory. One can be a force for peace, or a force for whatever peace's opposite is. It seems to be a choice that we need to answer for ourselves. Violence provides only short-term suspensions of hostilities at best. Violence does not interrupt violence, but only gives oxygen to existing violent tendencies. And here's the problem with the short-term. When a nation emerges from the madness of its violent ways, it then has to deal with urgent questions that have been delayed or neglected. Like what is the true nature of honor? How widespread is PTSD in the population? What is right and what is wrong when all seems out of balance? Violence skews a nation's, a family's, and an individual's senses of faith, virtue, and truth. And this skewing then becomes a new normal. For when forgetful of our original peace, we substitute all kinds of things for that peace. Things which have become normalized. 
Ji Kangji asked Confucius about governments, saying, How would it be if I were to kill those who are without the Tao in order to hasten others towards the Tao? Confucius replied, What use is killing in your governance? If you desire goodness, the people will be good. Confucius, Analytics, 12.19, translated by Robert Eno. War and violence do not contain or promote values that sustain civilization, cultures, or futures. However, without war, without its high cost weighing a people down, without violence's mindset, worldview, and customs, we will discover new ways or dows of peace, ways we have never tried because the addictions of war and violence had hijacked all our attention. We can stand taller, reach further, experience each other and life itself with a greater grace and gratitude. Our original, inherent, even sacred dignity will shine through more easily, a dignity that does not keep score about who may have wronged whom. We can concentrate on repairing past wrongs instead of willy-nilly committing new wrongs and moral injuries, injuries that can be exploited by some future populist leader more interested in power than leadership. In the operations of war, where there are in the field a thousand swift chariots, as many heavy chariots, and a hundred thousand mail-clad soldiers, with provisions enough to carry them a thousand li, the expenditure at home and at front, including entertainment of guests, small items such as glue and paint, and some spent on chariots and armor, will reach the total of a thousand ounces of silver per day, such as the cost of raising an army of 100,000 men. Sun Tzu, The Art of War. The greatest victory involves no fighting. Sun Tzu, The Art of War. War is expensive. Economically, Morally, resource-wise, once awakened, the urge to war does not bed back down. That urge does not play nice, and few count these costs. For when one's ego or revenge guides one's inner compass, one's ego is as large as your world ever gets. So our verse 31 stands as a testament to peace waging. Weapons of war never bless. They are cursed to the core, no sanctuary in them. Fighting is nothing to brag about, for one interrupts Tao's balance and harmony, which are every being's, not just human being's, birthright. To celebrate conquest is to be glad of someone's death or demise. How does that become normal? Whenever slaughter occurs, it is a tragedy to be met with lament and dirges, or funeral songs. A death of anyone in war is never the occasion for a victory lap of vindication, but rather a failure of our need to introspect before we project our own inner conflicts onto others. So our challenge is to go deeper in our compassion, look deeper into the mirror. We all have plenty of doubt in us. We all drink from this deep well. Let's not poison or forget it. Let's habituate to the better, more compassionate angels of our nature so we do not become used to normalized conflicts. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King, Jr. Violence always boomerangs. 
It quickly slips its leash with which we think we can control it. Violence rebounds back on itself to create ever-widening destructive cycles rather than actually solving the problems we have deluded ourselves that violence can solve. States, nation-states, are projective, not introspective. They can only draw all these artificial lines in the sand between artificial us's and artificial them's when we are all a we, an us. Have you ever considered the very strange fact that human beings are the only residents of the planet who create weapons designed with one purpose, to kill each other with? Sooner or later, no matter your spirituality, when we practice introspection and end the practices of projection of our egos onto others, we will have awaiting us a very blunt discussion of Lao Tzu's point that war is simply premeditated murder by a nicer name and should not be glorified. Saying such things as I've just said, once upon a time led to my job being called into question. Our asserting this today, let me be clear, may be injurious to your own job or well-being or reputation that you've built. So count the cost of one's full practice of verses 30 and 31. Instead of projecting egos and waging never-ending wars without and within, let us remember what power for peace we have forgotten, and that is to wage original peace. Can we do this? Yes. Will we? Some of us owe our very lives to someone who questioned war and instead waged peace. Originally, Taoism taught me, original peace ruled. There's only a co-alignment with the most dynamic force of the universe. No egos, no extreme imbalances, no adversaries, or anything to interfere with the spontaneous unfolding and evolution of the universe. Lose that, or in the Taoist vocabulary, forget one's grounding, and there's literally hell to pay. But there is power for the peaceful here. Peace is what we are made of and made for. Peace is our highest calling and obligation. Forget this central virtue and we settle for unbalanced harmony. Now, Gabriella and I switch roles. I ask the questions and she responds. I hope you like it. Gabriella, I'm going to switch roles today and I would like to ask you a question as a Taoist practitioner. Uh, about what do you think about all this left and right business? Let me, let me read from the text. In ordinary life, the non-belligerent ruler honors his left, from whence he receives counsels of peace, but in times of war, he becomes a right-honoring warrior, taking and giving war counsel. Thus the left is for festive occasions and minor commanders. The right is for calamities, death, and chief generals. So, Gabriella, what do you think is going on here? It, it for me, it seems that you know talking about the the left and the right, you know, has many different meanings in different cultures, the, the West, the East, and and so on. But for within this, within verse thirty one, it it feels that the left is to be with the Tao, and the right is to be against it. And often, in again, in many cultures, I've heard the left and right referred to as good and evil respectively or the opposite evil and good and the through line i have found 
is that the left is, is a passive part of, of honoring the world, honoring the Tao, and right is the active. So in this case, if you are by nature passive or the left, you will essentially always be with the Tao. And by going to the right, by being active, you are going against the Tao. But I don't always necessarily think that's true. But in this definition, it does seem to hint that left is with and right is against. Thank you very much. Um, now, can we bring this home to average Western people today? Uh, and we have left is sometimes seen as sinister, but in Tao it is me. It is good. It is good. So, help us understand today how our left and our right may be portals or guides to following Tao more closely. Uh, yes, so to follow the left, again, is that, that passive action. You know, and, and again, in some cultures, the left, by being passive, you are allowing, you know, evil or things that are sinister to, to blossom, but that's not always always true. And you can incorporate that left and right by understanding when you need to be passive so you can allow things to blossom in positive ways and when to be right, to be active, to help give those things a little boost when they're needed. But to not be left, not be passive if you're letting, you know, negative things grow and to not be active if you are hampering things. So to use them, you know, in a way to to create that that oneness and that peace in yourself and in your life and those around you. So could we say in kind of a shorthand that the left is more of like a uh, yin and the right is more of a yang? Yes, I, I agree with that wholly, you know, that yin that left that energy that's going to be you know more more feminine and then that masculine energy that yang it's going to be you know just more powerful depending on on what you need in your life you can lean to either side finally um how did people early taoist understand the the way of the left and the way of the right as guides to everyday living do you have any idea about that? Uh, no, I'm not quite sure. It's, it's hard for me to fathom, you know, so far into the past. But, you know, I would guess that in the early times, you are able to take that portal of peace by, you know, sitting in and with nature and use the right to take that portal into, again, just putting the nature back into your life. Well, thank you. This is, uh, this is a nice turn of the tables. I appreciate being able to ask you a question, and, and I appreciate your answer very much. And I appreciate your voice throughout the podcast. Thank you so much. Of course, and, and thank you for letting me be a part of this with you. I, I appreciate that. This podcast is an original labor of love designed and written and co-produced by many, whose central idea is that Tao Te Ching text and Taoist practices are good news for today. Tao still speaks. Thank you, Gabriella Giuliano, for your voice and the time to talk about my question. Thank you, Alder Davis, for your art. Thank you, Molly Hartwell, for singing. Fortress Press holds the copyright for any use of my Tao Te Ching translation. Thank you for being here. May your days begin in peace and become laboratories for the practices of peace-waging.